everyone, welcome to We Should Talk. Um, busy with our apologetics series on We Should Talk About, where we last week we dived into just um, like an introduction of apologetics. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts, Evert, and uh, with me is... Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, with with me, I have Hainu as usual. Lekker Hainu. Lekker. What's happening? Rustig, lekker. How's that? That's good. Oh, that's great. Kids are healthy. Kids are healthy. It's uh, getting to the holidays now, so um, hopefully they stay healthy for now. They're definitely at home most of the time um, from now on. So that's good. It's also pre we're recording pre World Conference. So that's uh, exciting times next week. Pre recording. Pre World Conference. Oh. Yeah. Pre World uh, that's what is World Conference? Uh, it's just where we as a um, church movement are coming together. So it's kinda like a family reunion for all of this every nation churches in the world. They are Lots. I actually don't know what the exact number of churches is. Uh, I do know that we are in more than 80 countries in the world. So, yeah. That is great. And that is from Every Nation Church. Yes. Um, so, just to give some context, um, we should talk. It's actually connected to Every Nation Church in the Moet. Moet is great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, and we decided to make this podcast for you as listeners to. Um, Maybe to for us to dive deeper to speak about things we not we don't necessarily have the time always to speak on on Sundays. I guess we have the time. Like you can do like a whole year on like one verse or I don't know. It depends on what you want to do. But we decided to have this type of conversation and have a, a platform where people can ask questions, but also where we can have discussions about um, about what's currently happening in our sermons and dive a little bit deeper into into these topics that we are um, that we are focusing on as a church. Um, and that's why we are doing apologetics because apologetics is the sermon series we are doing now called the God test. And the God test is a uh, engage tool that we use. Um, and we're going to dive, uh, I think next episode, we can dive into that. We can dive deeper, maybe even now touch a bit on it, but um, start with the God test, asking the questions and um, and answering them. But yeah, let's dive a bit deeper. We we started with worldview, or we just uh, like touched it a little bit. Um, it's like, a, you know, when, when a cat wants food and he's like, Putting his paw like yeah, we just did that with a worldview, but we're gonna go a bit, a bit deeper. I think a question I have is, when we look at people's behavior, um, like why do people behave the way they behave? First of all, like why do we do what we do? It's great. It's a great question. I think that's why this discussion undergirds some of what is to come can't really talk about apologetics you can't talk about uh i guess god and the universe and uh, you can't talk about morality and purpose and any of those things if you don't really get into worldview and so the question you're asking is why do people behave the way they behave now what we touched on last time i think uh, was uh, the iceberg model 
um, where it's this idea of, as we know, only a certain percentage of the iceberg is above the water and the rest obviously lies under the water. It's unseen, it's it's almost unexplored, unknown. Um, and so the, the smallest part is what we see. Now, now, now we know, we can actually only know something about someone when we look at them and see and ask them questions, it's the behavioral side, it's the, it's it's how do you act and how do you react, and so that's the only thing I can see. But under behavior, there must be a value. So it's this question of what is important to me, but you don't actually know that by just seeing. You can't see what is important to someone by just observing. You need to ask the question. Mm. Then obviously deeper than values is like beliefs or convictions. Uh, or, the deeper question is what would what is true what is true for me and then right down to worldview is the deepest sense as we said last time just that lens what is real what is true for everyone um so let's take an example let's say i go and watch a rugby game <coughs> in france and i rock up at the stadium it's the Rugby World Cup in France. Uh, France are the favourites for winning. Um, there's also Ireland being the world number one ranked currently. And then there's South Africa, the defending champions. All three great teams. We want to see one of them winning. Obviously, we want to see South Africa winning. You're sitting and you're cheering and you're chanting and you're with a bunch of friends. And so these friends sit and say stuff and chant things, but you're right next to a group of people. Mm that are actually from France and they are French speaking fans cheering on their team, Les Blues, and it's it's amazing, the atmosphere is great and awesome. It's interesting how just looking at their behavior versus our behavior is different. Why? And that you would only know if you actually ask them. What why do we scream different chants? Why no. do we sing different songs? Why do we sound different? Why, do, why don't we all kind of see the, the game as the same thing? Um, I, I almost yeah. want to say, think about a South African worldview when it comes to rugby. Now, now I apologize for those that don't watch rugby, um, but it's a big deal. In South Africa, it's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so, if you don't watch rugby and you didn't know, let me teach you on South African rugby worldview. South African rugby is all about pain, strength, momentum, and uh, set piece. And what that means is that we're all going to throw all of our energy into yeah. making our big people bigger and stronger. We're going to be very attacking, very in your face. There's strong malls, strong rucks. It's all about inflicting as much pain and as much um, agility on the floor as you physically can. And then you dominate the set pieces, which are things like scrums and throw uh, line outs. And, um, it's just the, the set piece moves. Yeah. Now, the French, their rugby looks different. They're all about the flair. They're all about the... And so it's... Big moves on the back line, ball being kept alive, um, uh, ball chase downs. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, they're a fantastic team and they're definitely huge men inflicting pain as well. But their worldview yeah. concerning rugby is different. 
But we don't actually know if it's the worldview because all we can see is the behavior. All you can see is the ball moving around. All you can see is them passing it out to the, to the wing. Uh, we can't actually see what is deeper and bigger. But what, what we're suggesting is that there's a worldview difference. That is good. That is good. Um, I think uh, it's like growing up. I'm an Af- Afrikaans person. So I grew up in an Afrikaans culture. So in different cultures, when you grow up, you grow up with uh, the specific worldview, things you have within your culture. And every culture is like that. There's some things that we can see. Oh, this culture has that. And this culture has that. Um, and I think the a big difference also with this is that if you look at um, as a white person, I don't, I did not. Um, how can I say? It? I don't grow up be like, hey, I'm gonna strike. There's injustice, so I'm gonna strike against it. And striking is not wrong. It's not a. It's not like obviously the way you do it needs to be done in a in a good manner, but. I didn't grow up like that. I was like, okay, cool. Like, uh, I can't do anything about this or... I don't know if it makes sense. So it's good because what you're talking about is if you look at the behavior of a strike, uh, which in some sense is just a... um, What's the other word? Uh, uh, (coughs) uh, When people start striking, that's a behavior. Yeah. When they boycott, that is a behavior. To strike... Is not wrong, yeah. And to not strike is not wrong. It's just behavior, yeah. But that behavior must have a, un, the because the behavior is not necessarily the right or wrong. What it is, what lies deeper? Where what's deeper than that? Uh, which is a great it's a great way of of viewing because yeah. you find it both ways. It would be because people do that. Is people judge other people on their behavior? That's say, true. You know. Uh, Yo, that person is striking. It's probably because they are terrible on the inside. But remember that they're not the same yeah. as you. They didn't judge the way they didn't judge their actions by the same criteria as you judged your actions. Yeah. They view the world differently. Their values are different and their beliefs are aligned ar- along different lines. And that changes the reasons for their behavior. Yeah. No, that's true. Because the thing is I had this discussion on um the current strikes that are happening with um, with the municipality and yeah. people not getting the the people what they do is they don't pick up the dustbins or the people that work to pick up dustbins throughout the the garbage and everything yeah. they just stopped it completely um, because of the income they get it's it's not enough and apparently it's like it's been years since they got a raise all the workers. And then the people were offering only 5% raise, um, which is, and this guidance said that is like not enough. Like how can you, how, how can you care for a family? How can you, and it makes then sense, like we're going to do something about this. We're going to stop working or we're going to stop do some certain things and do things in order because we value our family or we value um, our health. Um, yeah, that's good. I was in I was in Germany not too long ago, <coughs> and uh, very interesting. I was I was faced with the interesting difference in worldview concerning economy, 
and concerning um, the way that they govern or do the things that they do. So, so how this happened is, is we stopped at the supermarket and the first thing that was like an issue to me is um, we got to the supermarket and all of the all of the trolleys, all of the yeah. what do you call that, the, the baskets, uh, um, they were all stuck to one another. They're all uh, like locked, locked, yeah, into one another. And you can unlock the trolley if you've got um, uh, uh, like one euro, and then you go buy this little. Um, uh, it's okay. it's kind of like a coin. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a little token coin, a plastic token coin. And as I was standing there and I was wondering, where can I get this coin? The person hosting us came past and he opens up his wallet and he's got a little one of these plastic coins in his wallet. He puts it into the trolley, it, it releases it, <coughs> and there we can go shop. And I ask him, yo, that's, that's so ridiculous. Why? So do you all just have little <laughs> plastic coins in your wallets? I mean, I don't carry a wallet. I only carry a card with me now. The problem is if I move to Germany, I need to get a wallet. Because I need to put a plastic coin in that wallet with all yeah. my cards and whatever. I can just take the little bread clip, you know the yeah, like a little <laughs> bread clip. Um, and and I was and as we were talking, I was asking some questions and saying, okay, but explain to me why why this in our country we've got people that um, take the trolleys. We've got we employ people to take the trolleys, and, and they person, even take it to the home. Yeah. That even happens. <laughs> they even steal the trolleys. <laughs> and uh, it was so amazing just listening to this person's view on how it should be. Now, look, there's not a right and a wrong. It's just the views differ because the worldview differs. His answer to me was, well, in Germany, we pride ourselves that we want to, uh, um, uh, every person is responsible for the country. So that sure. was the first words out of his mouth. He said, every person is governed by a responsibility. Yeah. And I was f- first of all, I was like, no, well, in my country, definitely not. No, <laughs> no one wants to take responsibility for it. There's just no yeah. responsibility. But he says, in their country, a German person takes responsibility first and foremostly. And so the trolleys are all locked up. Every person that wants a trolley takes responsibility for that trolley. So it costs him two euro or one euro to get that little plastic coin, but he keeps that coin forever. And so when you put the trolley back into the, the grid, the little coin pops back out and you take it and you put it back in your wallet. So it's always with you. And what that does is suddenly every person is taking responsibility for getting a trolley if he wants one. He goes, he packs the trolley full of stuff, he puts it to take it to his car, he t- packs it out of his car and he then takes the trolley back, puts it back into its grid because he gets his little coin back. And that is how trolleys are never moved by an employee. It's always moved by normal citizens. It's always clean. It's always in place. It's never forgotten. And because the moment a trolley is standing somewhere forgotten, somebody can benefit from that. And so people want to benefit for themselves. And so... We do not employ people. And so there, I went into this discussion of, all right, but what about employment? What about jobs? And so this person says the most shocking thing to me, says, in Germany, we do not value job creation. I was like, what? That is absolute heresy. No one can speak like that. The Bible is against what you're saying. (laughs) And this person, no, no, think about it. We do not want to create more jobs. 
We want people to do less. We want our citizens to do less and have more time for relaxing. And I thought to myself, that is profound, but will never work. How can that work? How can? Um, and I, so I say, but you pay taxes. Yeah. So where do your taxes go? You, I mean, in Germany's taxation is much more, much yeah, higher yeah, than, yeah. than South Africa. <clears throat> you want to? You want somebody who needs to be employed, and he says no, 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 no. We do not employ unnecessarily. We we do not value job creation. We value when jobs can be automated. Sure. We we don't want somebody opening the door for you. We want an automatic door. We don't want somebody. So when we walked into the store, okay, so obviously now my brain is breaking and I'm thinking, let me test this worldview. Let me go in and see if this is true. Yeah. Walk into the store and there are literally three employees. There's a person How in big the is back. the store? No, it's a normal, I mean, normal, think about like a normal sized uh, spa or sure. it's not like a mega checkers or like a hyper, it's yeah, just yeah, a normal size. Like a macro. No, it's not a macro. Um, just small, small cafe type of vibe. Three people in the store. There was one person in the back. It was a baker, and they sta- And the person was a lady. She was standing behind the counter. There was another lady packing the um, uh, uh, shelves. The shelves. And then there was a lady in front, just making sure that uh, you queue correctly at the tellers. So all of the tellers are automated. You put down your groceries. Oh, yeah, that's true. And you and you scan your groceries through. You do your own thing, then. Do your own thing. You yeah. pack your own little bag. That's I'm like, so wow, interesting. That, is, is, that is impossible. Who is going to scan their own groceries? You're going to cheat. And he's like, no, why would you cheat? That would be very bad for your country's economy if you cheat. And I'm like, who cares about the country's <laughs> economy? It's all for me. It's for I want to yeah. fight for my rights and my things. And no, I mean I don't care about the country's economy. That no. Sure. In a country that has been through two world wars needs to rebuild its economy. It will only be rebuilt if citizens stand up. Citizens do not steal because they are responsible. They pack their own bags. They put away their own trolleys. At some stage, we were walking. Uh, uh, so I went into the back. Yeah. So I'm wondering, okay. So I go to the bakery, to, to the bakery and I ask for uh, whatever. <coughs> and the lady, she doesn't actually make the, or she doesn't give me the buns. She doesn't, I can get the buns myself. She's just there if I need to ask questions. If mm. there's something... And and so I take a chance and I ask her, is your job secure or will it become redundant and how do you feel about that? Sure. And she says she cannot wait for the day that she doesn't have to do this job anymore and some robot can do this, some screen you can click on. Sure. Because that means she will have the freedom to go home and sit and rest and and I'm thinking, oh, but who's going to pay you? She's not. If if you don't have a job, you still get paid, because that's what taxes are for. Is yeah. for. And so my point is, worldview. Just two countries, and the worldview change of in our country, we value job creation. We don't want things to be automated. We yeah. break down automation. No, you cannot pour your own petrol. <laughs> Somebody needs to do it for you. No, you we can't do. wash yeah, your yeah, own yeah, window. Yeah, yeah. Somebody has to do it. You can't. Uh, the other day I got out of the car and I just wanted to check my oil and the petrol guy comes past and he says, don't check your oil. That's my job. I need to check your oil and give you... Like, okay, bro, that's cool. I mean, yeah, because job creation. If something breaks, we put someone there with a flag, waving the flag. If that's some true. road needs to merge, we put somebody there with a light. 
that if nothing, you know, it's almost like we want to fight against automation. Automation's going to put less jobs there because we value jobs. Sure. Germany does not value, they do not want people to work harder than they have to. They must just work as hard as they can have a, a good, relaxed life. Brain broken. That is very interesting. I think the whole, it's a whole thing of um, looking at technology, looking at, um, as you said, the economy, because the economy can sustain it. Um, so, yeah, that is interesting. That's very interesting. So, there are these five questions we touched on um, on our last episode. The questions, the questions of life. What is the answer? What is the answer to life? It's 47. No, 47 or 42? Which one is it again? 42. 42, that's right. Um, but we were asking these questions. We were glancing quickly over it. Questions of life. But it will be. I think it will be good if we can maybe pause on these questions. Um, and this is questions that form a worldview. Okay, so making sense of certain things in your life so as you grow up um, a worldview starts to form between the age i think it's between when it starts at at four maybe three to seven it's already like at seven a, a child has already like developed almost a full worldview and have like a, a, a foundation to work from hmm. um that's why they asked why a lot that's uh, so much. yeah. That's why kids ask why because it's the worldview forming. They making sense of things. Um, but our first question that we asked is, "What is real?" Um, so we can maybe double click on that. What is real? <laughs> I think when I think about these questions, what what helps me to what what helps me to not make it too philosophical because yeah. sometimes we think oh we're like oh now we're talking about philosophy don't care about that let's just move on with life no yeah but, but in some sense we all crave these answers we all ask these questions think about somebody that you have just met yeah. what are the things that you ask that obviously you ask that person origin questions all right where are you from where yeah. do you live um what is your surname where you know it, it, where did you grow up? You, you'd ask them questions about um, meaning and purpose. Yeah. What do you do for a living? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. How do you, uh, are you married? Are you divorced? Do you have children? Um, and, and obviously, by the answers of these questions, you, in yourself, determine their morality already. Yes, I am divorced for the third time. And then you go, Internally, obviously. Oh, this <gasps> is a gospel. <laughs> this is a this is a divorcer, um, or, or, or you know whatever, because you already determine your morality, yeah. or this person's morality because of your view and your lens and the way you see it. And so these questions. Let's say you get onto a plane, you sit next to someone on the plane, and you and you um. There's a it's a, it's a random person you don't know them. Um, and all you know about them is what you can perceive about them, right? So I, I love I love when this happens because on a plane you're sitting next to a person. Let's uh, let me uh, let me create a scenario. I get onto a plane. I get next. I go sit next to a guy, 
that is massive. 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 Broad shoulders. As he gets in there, his, his legs literally don't fit in. Uh, we're, we're, we're flying economy. There's no way for us to fit, physically fit. Now, you guys know about the... the there are rules in, a, in an airplane. When you're sitting... The, the rules for, for, for who uses the armrest. Now, if you didn't know, here is a little lesson on the armrest rule. The person in the middle gets both armrests. Here's why. When you sit in the aisle, you have the benefit of getting up and going to the bathroom whenever you want. You get the benefit of receiving the coffee or the little trailer whenever you want. And you've got the option of kicking out your one leg. And therefore, that is great. And you've got your armrest to the left. Right? So armrest plus three other benefits. The person sitting at the window has the benefit of lying against the window, looking out the window, and the armrest on the right. Has also has the opportunity to fall asleep and no one ever bugs them because they are completely out of the way of conversation. And so all-round benefits. Sitting in the middle, you have the least amount of benefit. You have nothing yeah. going for you except for both armrests are yours. And so I get into the plane and I go sit in the middle and I fight for that armrest with this huge person that literally looks like he eats cheese and fridges for a living. And I sit in the middle and I push my arm over that armrest and I'm there and oh, okay, good. I've got the armrest. Here's this person. And I've got a couple of assumptions going. I know nothing. It's a, let's say in this case, it's a, a white, blue-eyed, blonde person. Massive. Now, what I'm immediately assuming, it's South Africa, flying from Pretoria to Cape Town. This is probably a rugby player or something like that. I don't yeah. know. It must be. It can't just be coincidence. Um, this person is Afrikaans or English. I haven't asked yet, but I can kind of... I can kind of, just by looking at, and, and I look at um, what the person's wearing, I look at what they, what's the carry-on that they have with them, I look, does the person have a ring on, and so I can make a bunch of inferences, okay, this person is married because there's a ring, he's white and Afrikaans, flying from Pretoria to, so that means this person probably believes in God or a God unless they specifically chose not to, just because this is now obviously just me um, making assumptions yeah. and inferences from what I can see. And so I've already filled in most of these worldview questions. And now I should test them. And that's when I go, hey, my name is Hainu. Stick out my hand and see what the person responds. And then yeah. what happens is the person by conversation, starts filling in some of these questions. Now, Evert, you were asking this first question. What is real? But what is real is normally what we can observe. Yeah. But sometimes our observation is wrong. So in my Bec observation... Yeah. It can be even because of bias. Because of bias. Yeah. So now I see this person in my mind. I'm like, this is a normal Afrikaans guy. He probably went to DF Milan <laughs> High School. He's pre you know, I, I, the, he's probably flying back home to go care with his family. I mean, th those are the inferences I make. And so when I stick out my hand and I go, "Hello, my name is Heine. 
And I actually do it in Afrikaans. Hello, my name is Ainu. And this person asks, answers me in Norwegian. Oh, I was wrong. This has nothing to do with the school I just mentioned, yeah. or the people, or the color, or the language, or the religion, or the. And just in one moment, everything changed. Okay, blue eyes, blonde hair, huge person. Okay, he must be some Norwegian. Uh, I don't know, wrestler or something. He probably doesn't believe in God because he's Norwegian. He probably yeah. has a background in Odinism and the Vikings and the and so suddenly everything changes just by one question. Who are you? Yeah. Because in my mind what was real was was just fiction. But what was real was actually different and it changed everything else. And the only mm. way I could know what was real was by what I can observe versus what somebody answers for them is what is real mm. that's good i think there's a um because it's a it's a it's the fundamental question of a worldview is to define what is real and obviously there's a lot of speculation people um yeah it's funny people do believe in weird stuff like it, reality is like the matrix okay we're all actually in this simulation i know there's this different beliefs i know like i'm not sure if it's like scientology or anything but i think they also has have this this thing of being on the ship we're actually like also in a simulation or something like that i don't know if you know more about that yeah so it just talks about it uh, talks about that um that idea of what if you wake up one day and realize that um you are in a simulation uh, what if you wake up one day and realize that you are um it was all you were all part of a game or whatever and and so the that sounds ridiculous but if if you look at the premise of that question or, or of that statement is if we look at how video games have changed over the past 15 years now i remember when I was a kid, how good video games started looking. No, sorry, how bad it looked at first. And then suddenly there was this jump. I remember when we had a computer and the only game I could play was like, um, uh, what was that? Uh, what is that? Block tennis, uh, whatever. Um, uh, you could play only like, uh, like, like little simulations of, you could play things. Do you know what Yeah. That's the opposite. One, two, yes. <coughs> you could play um, games like, let's say like, like a Pac-Man, right? So I remember when that was still a reality and over computers. Like 2D stuff. 2D yeah. stuff. And, and you can play Pac-Man or that little blockbuster, that block tennis thing um, or Tetris or, or whatever. And suddenly things started changing. And, and at some stage you started getting first person um, shooter games. And it was amazing. And I remember Counter-Strike. People play Counter-Strike to this day. Uh, Counter-Strike and um, Half-Life and Quake and you had all of these games and, yeah. and the jump from 2D games to 3D games was very quick for us. Yeah. Like in my generation. And then over time you got Need for Speed 1, 2, 3 you got the Porsche edition you've got I mean you've got Gran Turismo you, you started playing car games and I remember the Porsche edition of Need for Speed 
was so amazing. The cars looked amazing. I had a great graphics card. I had great. Yeah. It was the the game was so realistic. Water when it was raining, the mud that's that that's uh, you know <laughs> yeah. like sprayed over the screen. The the sun coming over. It was absolutely amazing. Now, if you look at that trajectory and you move forward and you say, all right, so it's going to keep on going and being better and becoming more realistic, more realistic and more realistic. Even today, we've got these um, goggles you can put on and, and, and go into a whole new world of realism and virtual reality. Virtual reality. Oh. And we're following that trajectory and we get to a place where it is so realistic that you don't know if it's real or not. You can't discern anymore because it's so realistic. And what people are saying is because of that tra trajectory, yeah. what if someone in the future already figured that out and they put us all in a simulation and we are the video game of somebody in the future? Okay, so I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the premise of, of that. Uh, yeah. it's, it sounds great, um, but it can't account for, for other things like um, uh, emotion and, 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 and love and, and things that we genuinely feel. Maybe it could be programmed, but I mean, um, we hardly understand uh, some things now. Uh, for, for that to be, to be real, there's just too many other variables that just don't fall into place. Yeah. Uh, it can't be real unless there's a multiverse, which is just kind of the answer to sure. all kinds of crazy questions without going into the multiverse right now. Let me jump onto that band, uh, the, the wagon that you were going on, Yevert, um, talking about this idea of of what is real and, and and what is not. One of the big things that we are sitting with is the dualistic worldview, and we did touch on this last time a little bit. But the dualistic worldview has this way of dual, obviously meaning two, and so dualistic saying that that. that um, it, it, it splits up the world in some way between two things. So the one would be material or, or the natural. Yeah. And the other end would be metaphysical. Meta, meaning overarching, physical, meaning physical. And so it's outside, of, it's like supernatural. So it's this natural thing and the supernatural. Um, or it can be viewed as a kind of a internal yeah. versus external. Many people say things like, I have an internal locus of control, which is a very fancy way of saying that what's inside tells me how I should act and react. But most people have an external locus of control. What mean, that means is that things on the outside, circumstances and things outside of the body, outside of the person, natural things dictate the way the person yeah. can, acts and reacts. And so with this dualistic worldview, if you had to ask this question, what is real? People will many times say, well, there's maybe two realities. There's outside and inside. But the outside has a much bigger and profounder impact on my life. And, and, and this actually comes from the, the Greeks or the Romans, the Greeks and Romans, the Greco-Roman Roman world. And it has seeped into our worldview, which we call now a Western worldview. Now, Western is a very humanistic in, 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 many, in many senses, but it's very much the same as back in Greek and Roman days. Um, it's these, a whole per, or a person's whole life 
plays off between the struggles of these two realities. And so the fact is, which reality screams the loudest? Uh, the external reality usually does. What's outside? It's it, 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 it's the one that gets the most attention. Yeah. Um, uh, so, say you have to weigh your time with your family or your job or your studies. All of those things are external. And so what seems to scream the loudest? Okay, right now, my job needs attention right now. Mm. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to spend the most time at my job. And it's not just time, it's also headspace. And so if my, jo my job needs the most time, oh, but now I'm studying as well. Oh, I'm failing my exams. Okay, let me give less at my job because my studies, my, the other external pressure is giving me more reason for me to put into there. Uh, think about uh, the, 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 the major, I, I almost want to say global issue, but it's definitely an issue in Africa, is the fatherlessness yeah. issue. Right? How, why fatherlessness? Okay, but because of worldview, because of external pressure, because of, oh, well, I, need, I need money, I need a job, I need to look after, I need to work hard. But none of that is actually talking about having a healthy family. It's just mm. saying providing for a family. And so a father would rather be absent and run to work every day than being home and with his children. Um, and that's a, because of this dualistic, uh, this, this, this tension of the internal locus of control. Something on the inside tells me what to do. I, maybe I decide. Maybe I'm the god of my universe. Versus external, meaning the world, natural, reality, everything on the other side. Mm, that's good. I, I wonder, uh, Yevard, what do you think, just concerning this, does God have an answer to this? Is, is, does God have a, like, what, what, do you think that Jesus faced this when he came to earth and, and, and he faced it and he also had an answer for it? Yeah, so if you think about this dualism or dualistic world where there's things on the outside, but there's things on the inside, there's, there's external realities, but there's internal realities as well. And so Jesus come rocks into the scene and, and, and I mean, we just said that this was a Greek-Roman way of thinking. How do you think Jesus addressed this? How do you think? Do you think there is a way that Jesus actually challenges our worldview? Do, do you think there's even a correct worldview? Um, I think when it comes to this question of reality at first, just to start, uh, for me, well... How I see it is that there's a, it's a pursuit of truth. Okay, so there's a, there's a thing of looking what is true. Okay, what is the absolute truth? What is the the unchanging truth? That truth that can't be changed. Um, <clears throat> and what is true currently? Like what is just, um, that can change. And I think there's a there's a thing there. For me personally, what I what I discovered is just that you find in God at first. So, what I mean by that is that God becomes the person that defines what is real, because He is the truth. Okay, so without truth, why would we follow something that is not necessarily true, especially if it's 
unchanging. Her unchanging truth that is constant. And I think that's where Jesus, for me, in a sense, comes in as well. Where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So it's like God being revealed, first of all, through Jesus Christ. Okay? So we can see who God is. We can see the consistency in the life of Jesus. We can see that what has been said all over in the Old Testament is manifesting in the New Testament. Almost like that. Um, but also in that, I think Jesus addressed um, a lot of things. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm thinking of is where he says, eat of my flesh. Okay, so what reality is he speaking of? Is it uh is he like physically saying, Hey, you need to like kind of piece off here and then <laughs> you eat of his flesh? And he always says, Obeying, doing my the will of my father is my bread or is my food. Um so I think in that there are there are different things of Yes, there's an external reality. So what is the external reality? We are hungry. We are but there's also this this eternal reality of okay, but doing what my father doing what my father is um um commanding me, doing his will is what fills me. Um but also we see that Jesus had compassion. There's a there's a thing of Jesus crying. Okay, so so first of all, he sees this crowd and he's like this he starts to have compassion. So he has a physical reality. Then there's a internal reality of compassion, emotions. Something is but what is driving that emotion? It is because he's seeing there are like lost sheep without a shepherd. So I think for we can argue, we can debate on is that a eternal perspective over these people or is it the physical um if it's physical I think that where they're walking them like acting like sheep. No, they weren't physically sheep. It's obviously metaphorical, but there's a spiritual condition that he's seeing on these people that they are like sheep that gone astray. Because there's no shepherd. And because of the condition, and I think, and it boils down to when you look at the just the crucifixion, Jesus dying, it's because of a spiritual condition on the world that Jesus is God on earth. Okay, That is just, <laughs> breaks your brain because it's, it's functioning from an eternal place into an external and internal place. And it's that three realities. And I think when I look at reality, that's how I, in a sense, see it. Is that reality consists based on the character of God, of who God is. And God is... I don't know how to say it. Maybe... I, won't, I don't want to necessarily say your God is physical, but... God manifested through Jesus. So God has created physical things. He has, we see that through the origin. We see that through creation. And we can dive a little bit deeper in it later. But 
but we see that through Jesus, God is God is there's an external reality. Like we can't deny that. There's this philosopher called um, Rene Descartes, and he was wrestling with this question on what is real. He was wrestling with this thing because um, he felt like, oh, it's not what we are seeing now is not real. It's just an illusion. Um, but he came to this conclusion. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff now I'm skipping, but he came to the conclusion, I think, therefore I am. So the, the fact that he can think and make decisions and be aware and, and have senses um, proves to him that, okay, this is real. We're not in a simulation. We're not in a dream. We're not. So from there, we see that Jesus have, there's a, there's a external physical reality. There's an internal reality of emotions and almost like identity and the things that you believe. But there's also a greater, or oh, I won't say greater, but another reality that is eternal. Um, where we see through the Holy Spirit, um, Pentecost, um, people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, speaking in different languages that people understand. Um, that is that is something else. How do you explain that reality? Where does that come from? Um, and I think that is when I see at it, there's a yeah the in the external the internal and the eternal reality but what governs that is it's like almost my next question when i look at this stuff okay what governs my eternal reality or in what eternal reality like how do you say it on all in tekens of in what eternal reality am i functioning um Am I getting it from God? Is God determining, is He my reality, my eternal reality, flowing down into internal and external? Or am I finding that ultimate, or that purpose and meaning and that um, somewhere else? Because it touches to, it touches purpose, if you think yeah. about it. About how should I live? Why, do, why am I living? That's how I see it. When you look at purpose, is that question of, why am I doing what I'm doing? For what reason? Um, hmm. Yeah, that's good, and it's a, it's interesting that um, when you read the Bible and you ask these same questions, eternal, internal, and external realities. How does what does God say about this? Does does God have an answer? That's, is there is there a world view? Um, and when you think about that first verse in the Bible, Genesis, it starts off with "in the beginning." Okay, and so what is that a reference to? Time, right? So in the beginning, I say it's referencing time. In the beginning. And obviously, time consists of three, which is past, present, and future. That, that, that refers to an external reality. Okay, the next word is God. Um, and so, again, there is three, Father, Son, Spirit, refers to this internal being. Okay, so there's an internal reality. 
next word, created. Now, created indicates, obviously, um, creativity and calling and being and personality and all of that. But it relates to an internal reality. The heavens is more than just an eternal reality. It's not just talking about that. It's talking about the creator that dwells within the heavens. Um, Okay, so heavens is obviously a concept of space, um, and space can only be measured, again, in three, Hmm. length, width, and height, external reality. And then the earth is more than just the planet we live live on. Obviously, it's a reference to matter. So matter, again, all matter consists of three forms. It's the fixed form, fluid form, and a gas form. You know, like water uh, yeah. would be, uh, be in, in fluid, but it obviously can exist in ice and then also in steam. Yeah, And that also relates to this external reality. And so it's almost like when you read that verse, you know... It's probably Moses that wrote this, and that three thousand, you know, plus years ago, he definitely didn't know he was writing stuff down that is that profound. But God does. Sure. What are we left with? So we we, we have this biblical worldview, this tri- trinitarian worldview that God provides. It's Jesus comes and he says, "Here is what I provide." Yeah. Here's what I have to offer. This worldview will answer all of the questions that you do have. Now think about those think about those questions again. The, the uh, I mean what is what is real, all right? Well, uh, what is real is what what God created. What is what is true? What is what is the meaning and purpose of life? Yeah. Um what is moral? What is right? What is wrong? Where is this all going? What where is this all ending up? Yeah. It's almost like God gives us an answer there and gives us a really fantastic, compelling answer where the opposite, or at least, I wouldn't say opposite, but the alternative might be better. The alternative yeah. to this is um, is this dualistic way of thinking, uh, in, in, in a way, secularism, because in our Western worldview, that's kind of what, what happens, is this secular way of thinking. And when you... When you look at that, the logical result of atheism or agnosticism mm. um, is the pursuit of personal happiness. You remember that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith? Yeah. And he's just chasing, chasing, chasing happiness. And the whole movie has this big question, what is happiness and can you pursue happiness? Sure. And what it kind of comes down to is personal happiness. Yeah. And so all right, will I give up relationships for personal happiness? Yes. Will I even abuse relationships for personal happiness? Yes, I I will. What about nature, technology? Will I give up some of those things? Would I change those things? Would I modify those things Mm -hmm. so that my personal happiness is is reached for for the sake of uh, personal fulfillment? Mm. Secularism is this... uh, in a way, celebration of the loss of shame. So I do sure. not feel ashamed anymore. Oh, I, I shouldn't feel ashamed. And and I, I reject 
social and culturally held yeah. moral restraints. I, yeah. I don't want to abide by your cultural um, constraint on my life. I sure. don't want to be called this. I don't want to be called that. I don't want to be known as this. I decide. I make the rules and I'm not ashamed of it. It's that constant fight of not being ashamed. Sure. Which kind of sounds like the gospel. Yeah. Right? But the difference is I'm not ashamed, not of what I bring, but of what God has brought on my behalf. And so there is no more shame and condemnation because of Jesus and because of God versus there is no more shame and condemnation because feel better about yourself because everything is about your personal happiness. That's where the, it's that whole thing of individualism that we yeah. spoke about. Yeah. And, uh, also community because that also plays a <laughs> plays yeah, so a remember role. we spoke about yeah. the whole idea of being in a family being an individual yeah. being um, when you have to be authentic it is impossible to be truly authentic without god in the first place which refers back to that podcast if you missed that you can go check that out um, on our earlier podcasts uh, just on community church uh, authentic uh, all of those great uh, great uh, philosophical thinking yeah so one of the big issues then with secularism is also isolation. Yeah. Is um, me, myself, and I. I become an island. I break all of the bridges that no one can come close because I am isolated. So I'm disillusioned. Um, and if there is self-destruction, no one can help because it's just me on my little island. Mm. It's, that, it's that idea of I want to celebrate how autonomous I am. I want to celebrate how un alone I am. I want to celebrate, and everything about Western secularism points that way. Everything sure. pushes you to be your own person, be your own brand, <coughs> be your own thing. Don't be ashamed. You, are, you know, just pursue your personal happiness at the cost of everything. Yeah. And then, I mean, watch some news, watch television, take out a newspaper. What do you see? What do you? What do you realize? Oh, nothing. Every person is just fighting for themselves. Every person is just on their own mission. Every person is yeah. just... They act behalf on their own happiness. Yes. That because is, that's the pursuit. Yeah. And my happiness, well, it doesn't have to align with your happiness. Yeah. And so we pursue happiness um, amidst one another, but also in... Um, uh, uh, what's the word? Um We, we pursue happiness not only with one another, but purposefully apart from one another. Sure. Like an individual happiness. Yes. Um, and I think there's, there's what I've discovered in my own life. There's, I've, I've been like that. And sometimes still we do stuff like that where we, we want to do what we enjoy doing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Thinking about that... So thinking about that, that idea of I want to pursue my own personal happiness. Yes, if we all agree to the markers of what the pursuit of happiness is and we all can say, all right, so for example, um, we want the common good to be reached. All right, but wait now. Where does common good come from? What is common good? Yeah. Because for Hitler... The common good, and he said this, is that um, we need to eradicate the wrong people from the planet. 
the right people need to stay behind. The right yeah. people will go forward. The right people will be busy with the right things. The I will let's ki- and, and 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 mass genocide because for Hitler at that moment that was fulfilling his personal happiness. If he could conquer the world, sure. he would personally be happy. Now, if you're a secular secularist, do you understand that no, there's nothing wrong with what Hitler did? No, there's nothing wrong because. He's pursuing his happiness and you're pursuing your happiness. You do you, boo. <laughs> you do whatever you think is yeah. good for you and I'll do whatever. And and there is no common good. But now you might say, no, but there is a common good. There's a common a commonality of shared uh, morality and yeah, yes and no. So there's a shared morality because of a creator, a common creator, not a common yeah. the, the A common mind gave us the ability to get to common morality. But it's not because of Alpus, because if it was about me and what I wanted, mm. then I can cheat on a test because personal fulfillment. Yeah. Now you might say, oh, but if you cheat on a test, you're only cheating yourself. No, no not actually. <laughs> that, that is such a terrible thing to say because no, if I cheat on a test, I don't cheat myself. I cheat everyone else. Yeah. If I cheat on a test, I will come ahead. And if I cheat on a test, I can cheat with money. I can uh, do a dodgy deal at work. I can uh, steal stuff, uh, whether that be money or property or, you know, the whole scam. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, there was the scam of the 0.001% of every transaction was skimmed off. So this was like cents, cents and cents and cents. But if you take a, a a billion people every day transacting over 10 years, you've got a lot of money. Sure. And it's money that wasn't yours. It's money from everyone else. It's stealing. But now you would justify that and say, no, but it's so small. They didn't even know. And it was so good because for me, it personally, it made me rich. And you know that money would have been wasted anyway. And Yeah, but it's your person. And so stealing in the name of... Right, sure, and so the the problem with the secular secularist way of thinking, everything on the outside controls me. There is no internal. There is only external. Everything I can perceive and what's real is what I can see. So if I can't see and perceive it, it doesn't exist. Therefore, God cannot exist. Therefore, spirituality can't exist. No governance outside of myself. Yeah. Everything boils down to myself. Every decision is made by myself. And so what that does, even if I start living in this, I start living in isolation, I start um, manipulating my relationships, somewhere, somehow, you're going to fall down deep into a dark pit because it's almost like we as humans were not created for that. Sure. Now you might say, I don't believe that you were created. Okay, let's modify. It's almost like we as humans cannot exist without other humans. Yeah, but we can't. Yeah. And I think um, <clears throat> what I realize in my own life is it's this pursuit of becoming content in life. Um, and also, you know, basically f- being fulfilled, feeling, and it's part of that. Like I think there's a lot of those stuff just f- playing around. And... What I realized is that, like, without God, all of this is meaningless. 
Like, if there's no God. Because you can have a Trinitarian worldview without God. So, yes. like a Sikh or... Like, I know Hindus, most probably. But, but within that, like, God as the center of this, that He's the one defining our eternal reality, that He's the one defining the internal reality. <clears throat> and then also He's the one that defines the external reality. And... When we have that, when Jesus, and that's what we call a Christ-centered worldview, where Christ is the center of defining what is real, which means that what you believe, you believe what God believes, or what God, God, how can I say, what is good, like the things that are good and bad, what you believe is the things that God is saying. Then the things that you value is the things that God value, which affects the way you live. It affects, and I think it's a good way to, because here's what I discovered recently is that we have knowledge, but your actions will show what you believe. And I think that is just, when I realized that, it's like, wow, I know a lot of things, but if you want to know what you believe, look at your actions. Look at what you are doing physically. Because um, that will show you what is your worldview. That will show you the things you believe. That will show you what you value in your life. <clears throat> um, you want to say something. So, I want to end off with this. There's a, and then we, I think next, next week, or not next week. I want to end off with this on our, on our God test, there's a question. And we're going to, I think next time, we can delve into the God test and look at like origin and morality and all that stuff. But question four on uh, the side, it has two sides, uh, A and the B side. A is for atheists, questions for atheists. And then B is questions for people who believe in God. But the question for on the A side, it says, do you find any ultimate purpose or meaning in the universe? And it's very interesting, Dr. Rice Brooks' res his response to this, where he says, if there is no God, there is no ultimate meaning or purpose in life. If we came from nothing and are headed for annihilation and non-existence, the concepts like purpose and meaning are merely tricks to keep us happy by ignoring the truth of our real situation. Um, yeah, and I want to end off with that. That without God, life doesn't make sense, actually. Yeah, whether you... whether you're, uh, And it actually attacks your worldview. Yeah. Because what you would realize is when you start digging down into these deeper questions of life, you actually might have a godly worldview, but you fight against it because you don't want to believe in God. You can't believe in God. You're angry at God. But when you get down to some of those questions, many of your deep fundamental assumptions are based upon somebody being in control and dictating these things yeah. for us. And that is the that is the difficult part. A.W. Tozer says that the purpose of man 
is to worship God and enjoy Him forever. And I think may we may we get into that space of um, worshiping God and enjoying Him and knowing that He is um, our Creator. He is the one that defines all of reality. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening. Appreciate it and uh, hope that this episode, you enjoyed it much. Because think it's so weird. <laughs> thank you for listening and um, next week we will uh, continue with our apologetics um, what I can say series on the We Should Talk where we're just going to dive into um, the God test and engage tool that we use. Um, we might touch on different engage tools as well. Um, engaging to people, speaking to people is not that complicated. So I hope next next time when we, when we speak about this to maybe give you as a listener some handles on how to address questions of like origin and morality and how to in an easy way just have a conversation with people about God. So yeah. Lekker. Cheers. Ciao.